Today I'm chatting with a return guest, the founder of Marination, Justin Longo. You can hear our previous conversation in episode 243 of the podcast. It's great to connect with you again, Justin. How are you? I'm excellent, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Good to see you again. I know that Marination has been evolving. And to use a bit of a buzzword, you've made a bit of a pivot recently. But your concept is still centered on music investing. So that part hasn't changed. So what has changed with your app and what do you see coming next? Yeah. So basically the first direction we were managing artists' money on their behalf, you know, investing in index funds and the general stock market. So obviously we didn't pursue that. It was kind of more of a intuitive decision, but we pivoted into this next direction where we allow fans and investors to, you know, invest in music, invest in artists as people and, you know, benefit on their future earnings and future career. So that's kind of the the different uh, direction that we took with it now. Yeah. So people have the opportunity to invest in like pretty much anyone, right? Like Justin Bieber or Rihanna or whoever their favorite popular artist is. Eventually that's, that's the direction, right? We want to have the big A players. Obviously they'd come on for different reasons other than like a indie artist or somebody just beginning, right? They would probably want to fund, you know, projects, studio time, um, and probably the A-list celebrities, big stars would want to do it more on a fan to fan, uh, fan to artist, like engagement, um, like connection sort of, uh, direction with that. I would definitely think that with mainstream artists, if they see that it's a viable opportunity, they would sign up for it. It's not like a super well-known fact, but you can start looking for all the revenue streams for producers and people assume, okay, they're, they're making music, right? And that's true. But then oftentimes they'll have their own trademark plugin, BST plugin mm. for a DAW, or they'll also have sample packs, or they'll also have beats. So they're, they're pretty well diversified. And it's really the same thing for musicians in the sense that people assume, oh, that, you know, they just go out and perform and they make loads of money, right? Or they just release something on Spotify and it helps them make some royalties. Again, true. But then you'd be surprised to find that like Beyonce plays the same bar mitzvahs and weddings and birthday parties that you play. And there's there's so many other opportunities. Uh, music lessons. You could go to Artist Works and find that Paul Gilbert from Mr. Big and various other super groups still teaches guitar. And I'm sure he gets paid a pretty penny, although I mean, that's hush hush <laughs> for, for the effort that he puts in. So I, I could definitely see, first of all, the attraction for the investor to be able to invest in their favorite artist, even if they are independent, but also mainstream. And I could also see potentially that if mainstream artists begin to see it as a viable opportunity, they would totally want to leverage it. That's a great point. And, and to your point where artists, they all have their own different niche, right? So, you know, Beyonce has her own different style as opposed to Tom Petty, right? So, mm -hmm. and they kind of base their um, secondary products upon their style and their given genre, right? So Tom Petty may come out with a line of guitars where Beyonce would come out with her new sneakers. Uh, we just did a content post on that. Hmm. So there's kind of like these different areas where the artist can thrive in the secondary um, products of their career, if you will, because the music primarily uh, the, the first one. So it's a, it's a very interesting point to see the reasons why artists and investors would both want to be a part of something like this. But yeah, we're just going to continue to develop it for everybody and see, you know, where we kind of land and where the traction picks up. Yeah. 
I wrote a post recently on the music entrepreneur triangle, and this is like really the traditional model of how to become a music entrepreneur. And for most artists, it really starts with one thing and one thing only, like you have to become known for something, right? So mm-hmm. Dr. Dre and Beyonce and all these other artists became known for rapping or singing and maybe maybe dancing ancillary to the performance side of things. So they became known as performers first. And then mm-hmm. as their celebrity grew, and I'm using that term somewhat loosely because you can create a celebrity effect among your audience, even if it's small. And you actually, there's a lot of benefits to being perceived that way. The reason to focus on one thing and to do one thing is to become known for it, to build your celebrity and people are irrational about celebrity. And so once you have that, then you're totally ready to diversify. You can, Mm. there's still mishaps, obviously. I think it was Neil Young that came out with the Pono, like the high fidelity MP3 player or whatever. No one was interested in that, but it also had a pretty unfortunate name. So maybe maybe that played a role in that. Nevertheless, once you've attained celebrity, the diversification opportunities expand. I, I really enjoyed the the terminology of music entrepreneur because entrepreneur and, and musicians are one and the same, right? As really? a creator and a music artist, you're basically throwing a whole bunch of stuff at the wall, right? I think Russ is a prime example of this. He produced and made hundreds of hundreds of songs and just put his volume in and and work out there and not all of it went multi-platinum right but it's the volume and the work and the in the trials and tribulations and just getting all of these things out there seeing what works and what sticks and then doubling down on that sort of thing from a music perspective and then a business perspective it's more or less the same thing right we don't necessarily know what's gonna work ahead of times you know we do have some preconceived notions about the market and the fan base and that sort of thing But at the initial outset of it, we don't necessarily know who or what or how much to charge for it or sort of thing. We just kind of do it as we go along and and learn in the the progress of it all. Yeah. Something I'm not even sure if I've ever explained or shared on the podcast is the fact that, yeah, it, it lives on a site called Music Entrepreneur HQ. The whole reason I started that, though, is because I saw... A lot of opportunity in applying business principles I was learning in network marketing and Robert Kiyosaki and various resources I was plugged into at the time and applying them to the music career. And that's always been the lens of like, how do we help musicians? How do we help independent musicians create the life they love through music? I'm happy for the overlap in audience. I don't have something like the Music Entrepreneur Club, which is obviously targeting people like us, people who are music entrepreneurs and doing stuff out there in the music business. But again, I'm happy for the overlap and I'm not, I'm not telling anyone to go away, you know, keep listening if, if this stuff <laughs> fascinates and intrigues you. But that is something I wanted to share for sure is that like, it's always been through the lens of the independent artist and how can we be artistically entrepreneurial? It's a great point. I, I heard, I believe Tim Ferriss said one time, if a good business book is a good life book, you know, a lot of the business yes. lessons and values and, and teachings are also uh, very uh, comparable to life in general and creative endeavors, being a music artist, being an author, you know, freelancer, whatever it is, a lot of these things are applicable to all areas of life. Yeah. So although you touched on it briefly, like why do you think people invest in music and and who does it benefit? 
it benefits both the investor and the artist. You know, the artist at the initial um, process of it all will receive upfront money to you know fund projects, as I said earlier, and that sort of thing. And then the investor will receive the benefit of the future earnings on that money in the artist's career. The the first part of your your question though is why would somebody want to invest in music? Who would invest in music, right? And that's a great question. And for a lot of reasons, some fans, you know, they love the artist. I love artists and what they stand for. And I would just give them like a donation, right? I don't necessarily need anything back from them just to help them out. I support their sound. I support their music. And then the other side of the thing is, you know, investors wanting a return, diversifying a portfolio an alternative asset class. And that's music really. Uh, because we have all these different assets with real estate and stocks and crypto. And now we can introduce another realm of it, which is music. And music is a very diverse, consistent thing throughout our lives. I think music was invented sitting around the campfire, you know, banging sticks and, and dancing around in circles and stuff when we were at our primal level. So yeah. I think it'll, uh, I'm no oracle, but I, I believe music will still be around way past you and I are gone. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. You know, and the music industry took some missteps through the pandemic. There's there's no denying that. We're tuning into the Grammy Awards going like, what is this? And <laughs> should this even be televised? Like, I'm not clear on what's happening here. Um, which, you know, it's always on the receiving end of criticism regardless. So what, what people may not know, though, is like an, on an independent level, a lot of course creators actually ended up benefiting from the extra eyeballs. A lot of people who give music lessons ended up benefiting because of the extra eyeballs. Uh, there was plenty of musicians going live as often as they possibly could because they they recognized there's, there's an opportunity here to tap into an audience that is primarily stuck in front of a screen. And so while you know the, the bigger music industry, mainstream industry may have made some missteps, there were a lot of independent creators that ended up benefiting throughout that whole cycle. And so it's always going to be like that. Sometimes it will be the mainstream doing all the right things and, and hitting all the right buttons. And sometimes it'll be independence hitting all the right buttons. Music, the music industry in general is, it takes so many turns and innovations and ups and downs, you know, since the initial, you know, CD and CD yeah. ROMs and all that sort of thing, the Walkman and now where we are today speaking about diversification you know artists would be benefit from more revenue streams i mean it's just a, a plain and simple thing if you have more of your career and your business diversified over different areas that are also generating money and and give you a chance to do so i mean it's only going to be beneficial because if one thing like you said you know touring wasn't happening really in in 2020 in that era um, but you could have the Patreon and doing lessons on the side, you know, having monthly income on that. So any possible way you can diversify as an artist is beneficial to your career, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Everything takes work, but there definitely are some things that you can work into your existing workflows without having to add a ton of extra work. Affiliate mm -hmm. marketing being one of those things and definitely shared about that on the podcast a few times. But as you say, it's like if you have friends investing in you or friends willing to invest in you ongoingly and consistently, it could just be like in a Patreon model, but have something that's really tangible in terms of deliverables as well as what you receive as an artist. And I think I can see that's that's what you're aiming for. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you, you made me think about something where, you know, if you focus mainly, say on social media, right, there's a lot of different channels. If you focus mainly on your Instagram channel and you kind of don't put as much attention on YouTube or Twitter or whatever it is, you know, the Instagram channel is going to grow relative to those other two channels, three channels, right? So there's this different concept between diversification, spreading yourself wide, and also narrowing the approach on these given ones that produce the best returns, right? So I believe a mix between diversifying, you know, your career in different classes, and then also focusing and narrowing the approach on the ones that are working in the long run. Yeah. And to your point too, like, I think it's really tough for independent artists to make it without diversification. At minimum, you're going to have live performance and streaming royalties and merch sales and stuff like that. But like, that may not be enough. And if you and if you aren't doing those things already, you'd want to start there and then continue to look for other opportunities, given that like some independent bands found it really tough to make anything on tour. Some independent bands find it really tough to get people to stream their music, but might have a lot great live show. And so, yeah, it's it's really understanding like what is working and then finding those additional opportunities that don't add tons of stress and ton, tons of work to your schedule. It's a great point. Excellent point. Yeah. I wanted to narrow in on this matter of pivoting a little bit more. And I've gone through pivots myself. I don't think it would be too much of an exaggeration to say I'm I'm facing transition headlong, diving headlong into those waters at the moment. But what is something you learned from your recent pivot? My recent pivot made no sense on paper <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> it did not make sense from the outside looking in. You know, we had a good customer base. We were making yeah. you know steady revenue. We were helping other artists. We were doing right by everybody. But it was just an intuitive feeling. It was I. There was I can't really explain more so than that. It was a feeling that. We set out to do this big, vi- I had a big vision, a big dream about Marination and what the company could be. And doing this old direction, it kind of felt like I was settling for less than that big vision. I wow. was taking a more secure, safe approach where it was working and things were going pretty well, you know, from an outside point of view. But internally, I knew that we were settling for less than the big dream and mission that we were out to accomplish. So that was basically the the thing with the pivot is it kind of ate away at me over the course of weeks and months. Hmm. And, and finally, it just came to where We'll have a in, we'll have an internal meeting about our team, and we'll sit down and say, you know, it is working, but this isn't necessarily the big mission and dream that we had for this. We're settling and kind of copping out from the actual thing that we set out to accomplish. And it was a hard process, you know, to to wrestle with that. But we we made the decision. We did that about a year and a half ago, and now we're mm. in a great position with this new direction that we set out to accomplish in the first place. I'm really happy to hear that. And I was thinking that too. I was like, well, Marination hasn't been around forever, but they've certainly been around long enough to have built up a bit of interest and an audience base. And so to to pivot when things are kind of already moving along, it makes sense that you would focus on the vision side of things, that you saw that there was more ways to be helping people and perhaps a better way to be helping the people that you want to help. And I love that. That I think if there's a good reason to pivot, that would be it. (laughs) 
it's it's not a it's not an easy thing when when you're no. doing something and you give a lot of time, money, and energy towards something, and you come to a place where I, I believe you have to come to a place where you just have had enough of what you're doing, or something just happens where you say, you know, enough is enough, right? And I have to change. We have to change what we're doing. And it's not easy, but once you do it, it, you realize it's not as scary as you thought, you know, changing and making a different decision. It's not as scary as you, you made it out to be in your mind. And um, I'm grateful for, for us having done that. I'm grateful for the, the rest of our team, you know, being a part of it and agreeing to that and, you know, being so flexible because they put a lot of time and energy and money into you know our old app we basically have made two mobile applications in the past two years now and that's a very uh daunting mm. task if you're yes. doing it at you know all the putting all these systems in place and all that so yeah that's that was the whole reason for for the pivot and it wasn't easy but doing the scary thing is is necessary in some cases sunk cost fallacy right like you have so much time, energy, money invested into something that it feels like it would make more sense to just continue what you're doing rather than adjust or change course or or look at another parallel industry that you could serve and, and, and be a part of. Uh, and so often too, like I'm an opportunist in the best sense of the word, you know, I'm not trying to exploit people, but I'm always like, there's a lot of cool things going on that I might want to take advantage of. And when, whenever I do that though, or when I do that lately, I usually come to a conclusion pretty quickly that like, oh, you know, if this is going to take an extra hour and a half of my time at 1030 at night to do every day, maybe it would make more sense for me to step back and simplify and, Mm -hmm. and not have that be a thing that's on my schedule, unless I have the structures and people to, to make it happen. And that's the other thing too. It's like, if you have a big vision, you're like, okay, we can get a team going and we can get people going and we're going to, but before you know it, it's like money's flying out and you may or may not be recouping your costs in the first year to five years in a business. And if you're self-funded and bootstrapped, then you're taking on more freelance work and spending less time on your business. So yeah, the whole sunk cost fallacy thing can easily kind of eat up all your time and energy that you would put into your business. And then that doesn't help you grow either. So it's it's a uh, it's an interesting concept, you know, because I I come from an athletic background also, you know, in relation mm. in addition to you know being a music producer. And the the thing in society is don't quit. You know, quitters never win, winners never quit, right? It's you know, that's been ingrained in in myself, especially coming from athletics. It's you don't give up, you gotta keep going, you you keep going until you can't. And you know, sometimes that's not necessarily a, a good thing. You have to reassess and constantly do uh, audits of yourself, audits of how you're feeling in, in the company. Is it working? What can you do better? And to you know, continually that continue to do that evaluation on like a continuous basis is helpful to see if you're going in the right direction, if, if something needs to change or in, and that sort of thing also. Yeah. One thing listening to James Ramco recently on his podcast got me thinking was like, if you only focused on one thing per week, how well would you do that one thing and how much of a difference would that make? <laughs> and so I progressively look in that direction because I, I wouldn't say I've been the antithesis of focus, but at the same time, it's like, I'm a multi-potentialite or 
multi-passionate person with a lot of interests. So it's easy to go down that, that path. But yeah, I've also heard explained recently, and I think it was Matt Starr, and I love this as well. If you focus too little, you're not going to get anywhere with where you're going. But if you focus too much, you can't see around you to make the adjustments necessary. So focus is actually a balance unto itself. It's not be a complete monomaniac to the exclusion of what's going on around you. There's a lot of paradoxes in success. Go be quick to market, go fast, iterate fast. Mark Zuckerberg's, uh, I believe his slogan when he was starting Facebook is break things fast, you know, so that'll make you like continue to develop. And then the other one is you got to develop something that works, minimal viable product. It has to work for other people. You can't have any things, uh, you know, hanging on by a thread and not work in a process. So it's a, it's a harmonious dance. Like you said, a balance, uh, between these two, two beliefs where you have to do things fast, you have to be focused, you have to persist, and then you also have to be flexible and you have to make sure and take your time. And, you know, it's just a, a, a weighing and, and a harmonious relationship between those two, two concepts. One thing that can be hard to know is like when to pivot. I remember reading Seth Godin's The Dip and the biggest joke of that book is he doesn't tell you when to quit. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And yet you still have to apply some kind of, like you said, intuition can absolutely be a valuable tool in business, but you still have to apply some kind of framework to, okay, we have to get the team on board moving in the same direction or else they're still stuck back here in the weeds Mm -hmm. and you're not able to move forward because they're still dwelling on all the way things were, which we always draw from our past, not from what might be possible in the present or future. Mm -hmm. Right. So as you see it, what sort of frameworks benefited you or what sort of uh, tools and resources helped you in that process? Resources that helped me is my intuition you know, be my gut, you know, thinking like I make a lot of my best decisions on an intuitive uh, basis. You know, they're, they may not look great on the outside f- from whatever perspective you, you look at it, but all the best decisions have been an intuitive decision. And, you know, the challenging thing with that, listening to that inner voice is that your mind will be completely against it in most cases, where if you have a big payday, but you don't feel right about the person or partnership that is going to give you the money, your insides are telling you, no, that's not going to work for us. It's not going to benefit, but your mind's thinking money. I want it now, like instant gratification. So tools, I would say, you know, meditation, like if we're talking practical strategic things, uh, you know, being quiet and listening to your inner voice, getting away from the scenario is an extremely beneficial thing. You know, Mm. detaching yourself from it, going for a walk, doing anything but it, talking to people, journaling. You know, I I write down a lot of the things that I'm going through on paper. You know, that helps, you know, physically and also mentally. You know, the physical exercise of writing is, is beneficial. So, you know, practical things, you know, those would probably be a couple of the ones that I personally use. But yeah, it's just a practice to, to, to listen and, and make that decision. Know thyself. This is something that I've had the opportunity to go much deeper on in the last couple of months here in Penticton. You know, one thing that came up having returned from Alberta was a six-figure job opportunity. And I was looking at what was required and 
what sort of role it would encompass. And I was like, okay, so you're like, it's digital marketing, which I, I understand very well and I'm good at. And it's operations and systems, which I also know very well and I'm good at and enjoy. So maybe I'll apply and see what the universe decides. Um, I think I got my resume in a little bit later than some other potential candidates. So right away, it just didn't happen for me. But I'm like, I was okay with it because I'm like, well, if, if it becomes available, sure, it might be neat to do like year long contract or something like that. But it, it still wouldn't be like long term passion of what I want to do. And I've also had some conversations recently too about like some strangers. I, I don't know why I have a lot of people wanting to friend me on Facebook. And if they look like real people I'll, and they have some mutual friends, I'll say yes. <laughs> I, I, I've learned to recognize the scammers for sure. But uh, I got to talking with with one of those recently and he's pretty fascinated and interested about what I do. And yeah, he was asking me about whether I was famous and whether I was married and where things were at. And holy cow, you have seven books. You must be pretty well off and all this kind of stuff. And one thing, it even after kind of getting an understanding of what I'm up to, he still was asking me, oh, you know, I know some teams that you could be a part of. You could go and join these teams. I'm like, <laughs> I laugh because uh, the whole know thyself thing, mm. I recognized in my mid-20s and it and it took that long to figure out that I wasn't interested in jobs, wasn't good at them, didn't want to do them. And now it always butt heads with management too, where I'd be done my week's work in two hours and then blogging. And they'd be like, what are you doing? You can't blog on company time. I'm like, I don't have anything to do. <laughs> and so that could easily cross some lines in terms of raising my ire, you know. And that's not a good thing. That's why I had to come to that understanding that, you know what, I think I'm made for entrepreneurship. I'm made for freelancing. I'm made for independent creativity. But without having gone through that exploration, how would I know, right? Mm -hmm. And if somebody is, is in that exploration phase too, you know, the best thing to do is just try things. You know, you'll never yes. know unless you try. You know, if you, it doesn't really matter what you think ahead of time. You know, you do follow your interest. I personally try to follow my interest at the outset. Uh, but if you just try something, you'll know, you'll have a better understanding about you and also the world too, after you try it. And then you can make another pivot. And, you know, it's just a continuous uh, process of learning and exploration. Yeah. At the time when I was 25, I was looking at, I was looking at a new media course. So I thought I would, I would go back to post-secondary education and maybe learn about, there was a new media course was about podcasting and video game composing and I think video game development. Anyway, I, I pretty much just, I didn't get into the course. There, I My grades were fine, just not enough seats. So I was, again, late in applying. <laughs> and I just went and did that stuff myself. I made videos on YouTube, I podcasted, and I composed music. And, and I just started gaining experience all by myself, not really knowing how, you know, DAWs worked, not really knowing how to properly edit a video. You can still see one of my first videos out there if you go looking for it. It was a, it was a review of a wrestling game from, from SNES or Super Famicom, as the case might be. And I podcasted first two episodes. I think I recorded with a headset, like 
you learn these things, right, as you go. And I got to learn, I'm, I'm a fast audio editor because I spent so much time in the trenches on podcasts. So yeah, a lot of experimentation happened around that time. You're going to suck, you know, you're yeah. going to suck at most things. And it's a good thing, you know, because you're, you're stepping in the right direction, you're getting out of your comfort zone. And I think if you understand that, you know, it, it takes a lot of the pressure and the, you know, unnecessary burden and weight that we put on ourselves from starting something. Yeah. You know, as you sort of figure out, not necessarily what you're good at, but what you're willing to commit to being good at, because that's what it comes mm. down to. You might have some natural facility for things, but I think even, I think it might've been Jay-Z or Kanye West that, that was talking about how there's a big difference between skill and talent. And I, and I tend to agree that people often look at others and go, they're so talented. What's interesting, though, to, to me, having come this far into my own journey of playing guitars and writing songs and producing music is that I'll watch a video and go, well, it's a really flashy camera and cool music video setup. But as far as what they were playing on the guitars, like, yeah, simple, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you have to come to that point in your journey to even know that because until that point, you're watching all your heroes going like, oh, my God, I can never be that. Mm but you don't ever have to be them anyway. You just have to be you. Just be you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, along that, those lines too, of, of knowing yourself and some of the things I was, I was sharing with, with these people on Facebook, I also had a question around like, what does personal development look like for you? And it's a really great question because sometimes that can feel like a really it can feel like a kind of a really mercurial or flighty thing, like a personal development, like you can't work on yourself or how do you work on yourself? You mentioned meditation. Actually, I, I tend to view that as a discipline because mm. I have periods where I do it very consistently and have periods where I don't do it very consistently at all, even understanding and knowing and having felt the benefits of it. And so I think part of what I'm saying is personal development is, is somewhat seasonal. You want to cater it and tailor it to what you're up to right now. The number one thing in my life is two-year-long leadership program that I've been taking. So I'm in year two, quarter two at the moment. I took two quarters off in between the first year. And, and this quarter is is coming to an end, beginning of June, basically. And and Justin, you were kind of part of some of what, what occurred in that leadership program as well, and that you were helping me build uh, Elite Players All-Access Pass, which was really fun. But this being like the most intensive leadership program there is, yes, I get in, I get a little bit of reading done, do listen to, still listen to podcasts or watch courses and stuff. But, you know, my focus is really on the program because it's that intensive. And I have weekly coaching calls. I have weekly meetings. There's classrooms and team meetings scheduled. Some of those are three-hour, four-hour calls. There's, there's all kinds of activity every single week. So in this stage or where I am in my life right now, wouldn't make sense to try to read a book a week on top of that, if that mm. makes sense. But if I was to look at like the other regular disciplines I have, I now work out four times a week. That's been consistent now for three weeks. And even previous to that, I was already either getting four days or getting two to three days consistently. Um, so that's, that's been really important to me. And I've enjoyed that, that discipline. And I would say those are those are the main ones. It's the lead for now. There'll be a season again, probably, where I do a lot of reading. But right now, it's like leadership program and working out. And those have been like the most consistent disciplines I have, besides maybe blogging daily. 
I, I see this with a lot of successful people. I've listened to thousands of hours of tapes and, and have read biographies and Steve Jobs and you know Chip Wilson, who founded Lulam and all these people. And what I see with them and also yourself is they, they have an understanding about themselves, right? They're asking mm. questions constantly about, you know, where am I right now? Is, does this make sense for my life? And am I focused on my business or my music career? Or am I more focused on, you know, family and relationships and spirituality? You know, there's all of these different areas of life. And I think you do a great job with, you know, the introspection and, and asking yourself questions and also looking at yourself as an experiment, looking at yourself from like an outside looking in, like you're the, what's that, uh, the Sims game, like the animated, you know, cartoon games, like 3D games. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. If you like look at your life like that, like you're a part of it and see like, okay, what's, what are you doing, you know, from your time? What are your habits? Like, how is this playing out? I think that's a great thing. Self-awareness, you know, to have people start to see more success in their lives, whatever that means to them. Yeah. You know, Russell Brunson talks about the attractive character. Really the idea is like, how do you magnetize your audience to you? And and it's a really valuable concept. I realized that I was not the expert. Like I love teaching and I love sharing, but where I really shined, because the expert doesn't ever change. They're, they're so consistent in their answers. The, they're so consistent in their principles and values and who they are all the time that they'll never deviate from exactly what they need to and want to say in that moment. And I realized, holy crap, like that's not me. I'm not completely shooting from the hip either. I do have consistent answers to things. But what was a better attractive character for me was the adventurer. The adventurer goes and gathers and finds things and experiments with them and then brings them back their audience that's what i've been doing this whole time i just didn't quite you know figure out that that was part of my dna as it were so that's know thyself as well and that was the best fit for me you know i hope fat people value from it i don't always hear a lot of stuff and usually when you're doing a good job you don't hear nothing and uh, if you're doing a polarizing job you hear <laughs> extreme comments and when you're doing an amazing job chances are there's people that hate you too but yeah big piece of this you're not going to figure it out all at once that's for sure i more commonly people make themselves wrong for what they are and the more i get into this leadership program there's there's a lot of challenging moments and just like anything else like showing up to work there's stuff you're going to want to do and there's going to be stuff that you don't especially want to do right it's the same with the leadership program but you you begin to recognize like how much how much uh, square peg round hole thinking are you going to do before you just accept who you are and, and embrace it and let that uniqueness shine rather rather than trying to mold and shape yourself into something society or parents or churches or whoever says you're supposed to be mm. as i understand it like that was the greatest impact madonna had on on dennis rodman he might have been quiet and timid before meeting here, but after being here, he, he was fully self-expressed. <laughs> yeah. So it's a process. Definitely not something you're going to figure out all at once. Although we didn't really talk about this in episode 243 of the podcast, I did bring up Elite Players All Access Pass and how you were part of the early development. And you actually helped us come up with a name. 
So the membership has obviously had a chance to evolve a lot. And there's a lot more content in there than there was before. I know you've looked on the inside. And I'm grateful that we got to collaborate that way. And, you know, let's definitely keep looking for opportunities to work together because you just never know what we, what we might be able to create. Absolutely. I think uh, me, me personally, I'm always open, you know, and acceptive to any idea. You know, like you mentioned earlier in the conversation, we do get a handful of the fake accounts and the phony uh, yep. people and, and that sort of thing. And and you can tell very simply and clear and cut and dry these days who's who's genuine and for real and who's not. And it's never been easier to become successful in this day and age because there's so many people who are just trying to, you know, get the quick buck and, you know, rip people off and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think if people are more open and willing to receive, you know, any opportunities, however they may come, that's how magic happens. You you never know what can happen in any conversation or any relationship, who knows who, or, you know, any, any secondary, you know, relationship or collaboration can happen from anything really absolutely yeah well just like your last name says i hope you long go i hope you go long (laughs) and (laughs) and your business has a long and beautiful and amazing life and we're always excited to hear more about it so let's uh definitely keep keeping conversation around what you're creating and thanks for your time and generosity is there anything else i should have asked anything else you want to talk about (laughs) <laughs> no, thank you. I, I appreciate it, David. I, I enjoy these conversations, you know, when we're recording and when we're not recording, you know, you have a, a very deep understanding about some of these topics. And, you know, I thank you for the talk. I thank you for letting me, you know, share my two cents on on these topics and my passion for the industry and what we're doing. And, you know, I hope we can continue to you know help one another and you know help your community and help our community also. Absolutely. Well, thanks for that recognition as well. And I look forward to continually supporting uh, what we're creating. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. So if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, why don't you come and join us? Head on over to musicentrepreneurhq.com slash join. That's musicentrepreneurhq.com slash join. This has been episode 301 of the New Music Industry Podcast. I'm David Angelique, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thanks for listening. The opening theme, closing theme, and closing segment ambient music was created by Brian Bob Young. If other music was used in this episode, it's credited in the show notes at musicentrepreneurhq.com. Please leave us a rating and review in iTunes to help us spread the word about the show.